Welcome to Breaking the Cycle of Poverty featuring Jay Height, Executive Director of Shepherd Community Center in Indianapolis. My name is Tim Swearens and I'm your host for these conversations that explore why poverty remains such a persistent problem in the United States. On this episode, we are continuing our conversation with Shepherd Assistant Director Tim Street about the 10 essential assets a person needs to break out of poverty and to sustain independence. The, the last of the 10 assets deals with, with money. It states that to break free of poverty, people need enough money to cover basic needs. Um, why, Tim, why is having a sufficient income the final asset and not the first? Uh, well, I mean, I think that's a kind of strategic. It used to be the first on the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think uh, you know, we have been working in our teaching and, and everything else to try to move away from uh, a, a definition of poverty focused on money. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 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 and also move away from a, a mentality that says the first thing we need to do is to try to help people increase their income. Because the reality is um, we believe wholeheartedly that it's primarily about stability. You know, we talk about upward stability, the idea that your life is more stable today than it was two years ago, and it's, and it's on a trajectory, trajectory to be more stable two years from now than it is today. Uh, And we use that term rather than upward mobility because upward mobility kind of implies climbing the corporate ladder, uh, raising our income. Um, But but income does not necessarily produce stability. Um, Stability produces income. Income is a lagging indicator of stability. As a matter of fact, if you give a house to a family and they don't possess the other nine assets to a, to a certain level, they're going to lose the house. And mm-hmm. Habitat mm-hmm. for Humanity learned that the hard way long ago. Mm-hmm. If you give a, a car to a single mom, uh, you know, to get her kids to school and to programs and get her to work, and she doesn't possess the other assets to a certain level, she's going to lose the car. I, mm-hmm. I learned that lesson personally, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, a couple times early on uh, in our ministry. And uh, and so, so we we just we put it last because it's not the focus. There are some things that we do. Mm-hmm. to help people raise their mm-hmm. income. But it's not the focus of, of what we're doing and working with our children and things like that in, in thinking about breaking the cycle of poverty in the second generation and providing wraparound services for the family. We don't think about it from the perspective of, you know, we're all about helping them raise their income. Because helping them raise their income does not necessarily mean that they're going to break the cycle of poverty. Yeah. I mean, you know, the... the uh, uh, you know, there's a movie on, on ESPN, one of those 30 for 30 movies mm-hmm. called Broke, that's about the incredibly high percentage of professional athletes right. who declare bankruptcy. And that followed up on a couple of uh, magazine articles. And in the Atlantic Monthly magazine article, he talked about how many of them simply uh, had grown up in poverty and they spent $100 million, you know, and then right. declared bankruptcy. Uh, because they could never imagine in their lives, you know, that they would spend that kind of money. And if you look at the the wealthiest athletes uh, mm-hmm. who have parlayed their playing careers into, you know, you know, fortunes and business careers and things mm-hmm. like that. Mm-hmm. You, people like Roger Staubach and Magic Johnson and others, they didn't grow up in poverty. They grew up middle class uh, and, and went in thinking this is the nest egg for the rest of my life rather mm-hmm. than this is it. And uh, and so by focusing on helping you know them ra- raise income, I think we're putting the cart before the horse. A lot of anti-poverty programs, particularly those operated by the government, are very much focused on money or at least some type of financial assistance. Uh, what are your thoughts on on that approach? Well, I mean, there's no question we have to 
we have to have some objective measurement of where people are, you know, from the perspective of poverty, whether or not they have the things that they need to provide for their family. I mean, there was a time when, uh, you know, the idea of poverty was very subjective. Mm -hmm. AFDC, which was Aid to Families with Dependent Children, which started in the Depression, was 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 just purely subjective as to whether or not you qualified. Literally, somebody walked into your home, a social worker walked into your home and checked yes or no. And then, and and it, and, and, and it was also racist and, and, you know, most of the people, I mean, like 90, 95% of the people in, on welfare were white. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, uh, and, and, you know, people in, of, of color just didn't qualify because they simply checked no. Uh, and so when Lyndon Johnson declared a war on poverty in 1964 and, and expanded those programs, they wanted to make uh, qualification for government services objective. And so they came up with the, what they now call the federal poverty line. And so, uh, so there has to be some objective uh, measurement of whether or not you have what you need to provide for your families. But... When working with those who don't have it, if we simply, you know, if we simply say, oh, well, all we need to do is raise their income, then they won't really be in poverty anymore. We're, we're not going to be successful. Yeah. So, so, Jay, some of our listeners at this point may be thinking, hey, if it's not about money, does that mean I can keep mine rather than donate it to those in need? How do you respond to a question like that? Absolutely not. Uh, <laughs> no, um, it does require Shepard to have a budget so that we can help build their capacity to reduce their dependency. And that happens in relationship, which is about people. Uh, ministry in the city is messy. It's, it's, you know, people talk in terms of how do we scale it? Well, it's not always scalable because it's really based on how many folks can you live in relationship with. But we were working with the state of Tennessee on they, their goal to retool the safety net. And we talked to a lady and she said, all the programs keep me from drowning, but no one's teaching me how to swim. And I think that goes into money doesn't change, as Tim said, it doesn't change anything. But money used correctly to help build their capacity. Uh, it's why we talk about increasingly we don't uh the church has been guilty of trying to privatize welfare and spiritualize it by just giving stuff away and again stuff doesn't change lives relationships do and we've got to be uh, that money spent with those who are helping them build their capacity get an education learn how to read all of those things are things that if they don't happen they, they will never have the capacity to uh, have a life that isn't dependent on someone or some other organization. Yeah. As, as Tim noted, a, a person who's not learned to, to manage their money can burn through a ver rather very large income in a, in, a, in a hurry. What is Shepherd doing to help people learn how to manage their, what they have? Well, we have the Center for Working Families, which is a poverty alleviation program that came out of the Annie Casey Foundation out of Baltimore. Not only the Colts came out of Baltimore, but so did Center for Working Families. And uh, our, we, we help them with understanding how to budget, how to deal with their finances. It's not just taking some curriculum and saying, we're gonna teach this to you, but it's helping them begin to understand the why 
and then helping them understand that there is hope in this. It's not just we're going to burn through this and, you know, you just got to go to these number of classes to check it off. Uh, but, but uh, and it has to really be unique. And so we talk in terms of paraclete. It's the Greek word for the Holy Spirit of the New Testament. It's defined as the one who comes alongside to help carry the load. And we have to be committed to being paracletes to our neighbors to help them so that if they're going to a class, maybe I go with them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but just offering classes or in some cases mandating them is not going to change anything. It really comes in relationship. And if we go back to a previous episode, they see the long-term benefit. So it's taking and saying, yes, I know it's only $15 a week to have that big screen TV, but let me show you how much you're paying for that. Mm-hmm. And let's do this and then do this. And you could get that and save this money. And then you could use it to do X, Y, and Z. I think it's sometimes it's helping them. Again, it's all about their vision and helping them own it, not just them doing it to please me uh, or to satisfy some requirement we've given them. Tim, you mentioned in an earlier episode that the, the 10 assets are, are interconnected, uh, they're not silos. And, and it seems like learning to budget is very much about future orientation. Mm-hmm. How, do, how, do, how do those work together? Well, again, um, you know, when we were talking about future orientation, we were talking about future story and, and mm-hmm. where I want to be in the future guiding my daily decisions. Um, and if I can be mentored and taught and, and recognize that there is a better reality in the future, if I behave in a certain way today, then I will behave in that, that way today. So I will make daily life decisions and financial decisions uh, with that that future goal, um, and so uh, so yeah, without a, with uh, again, you, like I say, all these assets are not in silos. Without a future orientation, without a goal, without some place that I want to be in the future, uh, you know, all of uh, I'm I'm going to spend whatever comes in today, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna think about you know tomorrow because today has enough worries of its own, you know, yeah. and I'll be focused on those. So you, you've both noted that our society is not really built for people with little or no money. There's almost financial penalties for for being poor. What does that look like in in everyday life for our neighbors? I think the thing I think of, and one of the things that Tim has taught in in the class Poverty 101, it's being $6 short on your electric bill and having no one to turn to to help you. I mean, if you or I, any of us at this table, could think of the numbers of people that we could ask for $6, um, but that's not always the case, and hence payday loans and, um, you know, medical debt. So the hospital calls and says, uh, you owe $1,200, Jay, how are you going to pay that? Well, my wife, who grew up middle class, says, I can't pay that at once. I need to make it in payments. And then they say, okay, so how much this month and how much next month? And she goes, in the months after, you know, we're not going to pay 1200 bucks in two months. Now, they don't offer that, but what they, my neighbors hear is, i got to come up with $1,200. I have no way to do that, so I go get the payday loan, and now I'm stuck in this hydraulic mm-hmm. of, of the payday loans that, you know, they're going to pay a lot more money, probably $15,000 on a $1,200 loan, um, yeah. and there's really no limits on what they can charge 
it's it's very broad and uh, and so being poor, as you said, costs a lot of money. It 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 uh, brings so many other challenges that many of the rest of us don't deal with. Yeah, we we take for granted the ability to hop in a car and drive to the grocery store, and that's that's not something that many of our a lot of our neighbors can take for granted. How does our transportation system affect people living in poverty? Lack thereof. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I mean, they're trying to build some of these bus lines, but it's it's the connection that's off of the major bus line. But if I take the bus to a, the uh, grocery store, it's a mile north. It takes me an hour and a half to get there, and I have to switch up twice. Mm-hmm. And if I have more than two bags on the way home, I've got to buy two tickets. Mm-hmm. And an hour and a half, you know, one of the necessary items is ice cream, and uh, at least I think so. And uh, it's not going to—it's going to be soft serve definitely by the time you get home in the middle of summer or your meat or whatever. Um, those are difficult ways, and uh, you know, potholes. You and I get upset because we blow a tire, mm-hmm. bend a rim. For our uh, neighbors in poverty, that's that's a tax. They don't have, and so you know what? That means mom skips a few meals because so that the kids can have enough food. It's, I've heard it, I've seen it, um, but vehicles are hard to, they're the second greatest reason why folks use payday loans, medical debt and vehicle issues. Um, and so when we don't have good streets, that's that's a tax on the poor. Yeah, I, I saw, uh, there's a, actually a website where you can look at this. I saw a study that showed that people in poverty in New York City spend about 25% on transportation of what people in poverty in Indianapolis spend because they don't own cars and, uh, and they're spending all that on, on public housing and so or on public transportation, excuse me. So, I mean, if you're in poverty and let's say you're, you're in an apartment and you've managed to scrape together uh, enough money to put down a first and last month's rent and, and get an apartment. And six months into that lease, your car breaks down. Right. And you have a choice to make that, you know, and, and because you have to have a car in a city like Indianapolis. I, I've got to get a habit to get to work, and I've got to work because, you know, there's no such thing as lifelong welfare, and so I've got to work multiple jobs maybe even. So I've got to work. So I've got a decision to make between do I fix my car or do I pay the rent? And, you know, it's, it's a no-brainer. You fix the car. Then you get behind on your rent, and and then you're never going to be able to catch up by the time the end of that lease. And you know, and I, you know, a lot of times people uh, judge people in poverty mm-hmm. uh, for the decisions, the financial decisions that they make. And and I always say, well, put yourself in their shoes. You're six months into that that lease. You're now behind. You can now spend the next six months trying to catch up, knowing you may never catch up, mm-hmm. and your lease is not going to be renewed, and you're not going to have any money, or you can stop paying the rent now and start saving up first and last month's rent and security deposit for your next lease. Mm-hmm. What will you do? And everybody says, well, I, that's what I would do. Okay. Um, and it's all because, it all goes back to because I had to have that car. Right. And, um, I mean, the, I think right now the IRS is estimating that it costs $8,000 a year to maintain a good quality vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's when you're talking about, I mean, that can be a, that can be a half, uh, that can be a half of, of, of a family's income. And, and boy, what a, what a burden. And, and you also have to factor in, um, if you need to go to the city government for some reason, if you need to go to the federal, where are those offices at in Indianapolis? Downtown. 
where do I park downtown? Parking garage. How do I pay for that? Cash or credit card? Well, that most of them no longer will take cash. Yeah. They don't even have a person there. You have to have a card. You go to some of the hospitals and you have to have a card. You park at a meter, you have to have a card. Mm -hmm. um, some of them still will take right. change, but right. for the vast majority. And so parking becomes the hurdle mm -hmm. that keeps them from being able. And so then they go downtown, they get the money to get together. They're able to find a parking spot. They go in and they forgot one form. Are, are they going to go back? They've just spent so much gas. And they, I think the other value that they have is minutes on their phone. Right. And so I call the doctor's office to schedule it, or I call a utility and I get put on hold and they say, you're third in line, you know, do, 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 and horrible music. Mm-hmm but I lose my minutes. I, I um, anyone that knows me knows I'm a klutz and uh, I fell uh, running across the street. First of all, I should never have been running. Any of you know me know that should never happen. But I fell, ended up in the ER of a, of a local hospital and they, uh, they came in to the room. I have my leg in a, a brace in my hand and they said, um, you're, so-and-so, yes, your address. So my zip code is this neighborhood. And they said, well, you need to pay your copay right now, $250. I didn't feel really happy about that uh, for a variety of reasons. One, because I couldn't get my wallet out of the back of my pants because my right hand wasn't working. But my wife was there to help me, and I had $250 to pay, but it was based on my zip code. If I was at a hospital in the suburbs, I guarantee you they don't make you in the ER laying on a stretcher pay 250. And so, you know what happens to my neighbors? They walk out. It is very expensive to be poor. Jay, we're fully immersed in the in the holiday season. Uh, it's a very difficult time for, for many people, including our neighbors. Would you pray for us as we wrap up? Yes. Father God, you're the God of the city. These are people who you created and knit together, and they are yours. May we be good stewards of the opportunities to connect to broken people. And may we look and have the eyes to see those who need not just our help, but our friendship. Help us to learn their names and know their stories. May we take time out of the busyness to be able to stop and engage with those around us. Father, you stopped and came to us. Thank you for that. We celebrate that at Christmas. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Jay and Tim. Uh, for 38 years, Shepherd Community has made a lasting difference in the lives of thousands and thousands of neighbors. And the Shepherd team couldn't do that work without the support of donors, partners, and volunteers. To learn more about how you can help, please visit shepherdcommunity.org. Thank you for listening.